I was 23 and thought, this is great. This is the end of my story. I, I found her. She's my friend. This is my fairy tale. Yeah. My fairy tale. She's so great. She's so polite. She, you know, she's cordial. She wants to get together. And unfortunately I remember tucking my husband into bed and sneaking downstairs and saying like, you know, I'm going to call her, but I need to be by myself. So I went downstairs. I called her back. She didn't answer. And I didn't understand, you know, what that was about. The next day came no call the next day. And I realized what's happening here. And she's disappeared. You're listening to Now What, a podcast where we celebrate the human spirit by sharing stories of strength and resilience. For those going through hard times or looking to get inspired to change their own life, we're your hosts, Jen and Tisha. Hi, and welcome back to Now What. I'm Jen. And I'm Tisha. Thank you so much for our new listeners joining us. We welcome you. And to those of you who have been listening all along, thank you so much for joining us again. Today, we are going to be joined by Mary, who we found through Instagram. Her handle is at Because Adoption. So spoiler alert, she was adopted. (laughs) She is uh, living in Virginia, and she's a mom of four. And we're just so thankful that she found time in her schedule for us because we know she's very busy. So hi, Mary. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you so much. I so appreciate these daytime slots that I can kind of talk to other adults because sometimes I just sit in my house and I'm like, I guess more laundry. That's what we'll do. (laughs) My kids are at school and I don't know how much longer that'll go, you know, with COVID and schools shutting down and But right now I'm living it up because I've had a baby next to me for 11 years and this is the first year all of them go. So I have a kinder, second, fourth, and sixth grader. So they are all gone and I don't really know what to do with myself. I'm not, I'm not great with my time. So it's really (laughs) nice to have like a scheduled meeting because I'm like, I have something to do today. Yeah. I find, um, it's easy when you get that, those times you to just be like, Oh, I can breathe. I can do whatever I want what do I want to do? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I get stuck in that, like almost every day, like trying to figure it out. And you know, there's a part of me that's like, show yourself some grace. Like you've had kids next to you for a decade. Like it's okay to take a week, but there is a sense of urgency to do something productive because I worry that COVID's going to shut down the school. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I'm not going to have this free time anymore. Yep. Yeah. So you're like, how do I make the most of this time while I have it? Right. Yeah. I would love to hear a little bit about your story and why we have you here today. Awesome. Well, let me tell you some of my story. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I grew up uh, knowing I was adopted. I have never left Virginia. So I went to college in Virginia. I went to boarding school in Virginia. I got married and I live in Virginia now. So I'm sort of a homebody. My parents, my adoptive parents adopted us from a private agency and four years later adopted my little brother. We are not blood related, but that was never really a thing. It didn't matter. You know, he's my brother. He's my only brother. Uh, and I love him to death. And we just grew up knowing it wasn't really spoken too much about once a year when you had to make a family tree in elementary school, I kind of went, excuse me, you know, I'm not, I don't actually know, but I'll write down who I think, you know, because when you're adopted, you don't have a bloodline. And so occasionally it came up, but it it wasn't something that bothered me. It, It just wasn't, it just was who I was. And it wasn't a secret. Uh, no family members kind of addressed it in a weird way. Uh, it really wasn't a big 
part of my life um, until I turned 18 and started being curious about my biological mom and family and, and where she was and what she was doing. And if she was okay, I'm sort of a like nurturer, very maternal by nature. And so it, I almost became like concerned, you know, like, where is she? Is she, is she all right? She gave a child up. That must be super, you know, unnerving. And how can I get to her? What can I do for her? Mm-hmm. So and did you wonder about her like prior to being 18 or just so I have to tell you, uh, my mind kind of plays tricks on me. My memory has never been great of my childhood. Uh, it just is what it is. I just don't have a lot of memories of childhood. And as I'm writing my memoir currently, uh, memories kind of surface that I've never seen before, which is really, really cool. And it's cathartic and it's healing and it's therapeutic. It's like my favorite word for the phenomena of memories like surfacing. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I didn't really remember that before. Um, and so I think it comes up. Birthdays have always been really hard for me. I wonder if she's going to call like as an adult, as a child, it's a faint memory of where is she? Does she think about me on this day? Um, mm-hmm. But it, it wasn't something that really bothered me as a child. I wasn't really set on it. We had a pretty great life we took a lot of trips and we went to private school and if we needed a tutor, we had it. We just had a lot of privileges and I'm so thankful for that. So it wasn't a super hard childhood where I really dwelled on why is my life hard right now? I hear a lot of adoptive stories that are unfortunate and, you know, the adoptive parents weren't exactly what kids may have hoped for. And, and, you know, it causes you to think about your other family earlier in life because you're struggling. And we just didn't my brother and I didn't struggle that much. And learning is really hard. I have all kinds of dyslexia and learning disabilities and all that. So school was really hard, but family life was fine. Family life was great. We didn't, we didn't really have a problem, but as I became sort of a young adult, the need for information was incredibly strong, uh, stronger than most. And my parents entertained it and said, we'll call the agency. I was adopted through a closed adoption, which means you don't have any information about the biological family at all, except a piece of paper that she fills out and it'll say she has blue eyes and blonde hair, you know, it's non-identifying. So there's no relationship. Open adoptions these days are so beautiful where, you know, the family and, you know, you can keep in touch and ask questions Mm -hmm. if there's a medical thing, like we didn't have any of that. So at 18, I did get some of that information Mm -hmm. and that just started spinning my wheels and I needed more and needed more and needed more. And it almost became an addiction. How can I get to her? Where can I get to her now? Mind you, I was 18. So I went to college and it was sprinkled in my life, but I made a lot of dumb decisions in college as we all do. Um, (laughs) And, and then I got into a car accident my senior year of college and I had to drop out of college and I was at home and healed. And I met my now husband And we ended up getting engaged very quickly. And all of these big events, then I graduated after we got married, all these big events are just perfect prime time for unknown information to come up, you know, Mm -hmm. because you want to share that information. I think the desire to be accepted by your first family, by your biological family is super strong in my mind. And so every time I had a child or got married or anything big happened, it was brought back up. So, yeah, 
So I started looking, the agency wasn't super helpful because legally they can't hand over her information because it is a closed adoption and that's the rules and that's the laws and every state is different, but my state and my agency said, you know, we can help you by reaching out through us. And if she doesn't want to respond, she doesn't want to respond. And that's kind of the dead end I hit. Um, okay. Yeah. And so I started looking myself and back then sites weren't quite as organized when people were looking for other people. And so I really had to look really hard and I ended up finding her on a site where people post looking for other people and reached out to her. And we had, did one you know her name even? So I had my birthday, I had my place of birth. So you can kind of punch those things into a search, right? And I knew that my mom, my biological mom was also adopted. So that was kind of a unique thing that I could punch in. So most of the time, if that was the case, the biological mom would punch that in also because it was a known fact, right? It was on the sheet that I received, you know, about her. And that Um, helps narrow it a bit. Narrows it a little bit. Yeah. And I have to tell you, I worked with my agency very, very closely for a really long time and they just couldn't get her to budge. She did not want to communicate with me. And finally they said, you know, I just broke down with my social worker at one point and I just said, I need something like, is she real? Is she dead? Like, what, what is it? Like, why doesn't she... And, and she said, you know, I'm really comfortable giving this to you because it's a really generic name, but um, her name is Anne. And that was just a first name. And I have to tell you, I don't know if that's breaking the rules or not, but she gave me a sense of reality at that point. This person was mm-hmm. real. She was alive. She was like, a, you know, she was her name. Like, this is her name. Yeah. And, you know, it could have been Mary. It could have been Sally. I mean, how could I find anybody like that, you know, with, with, an, with a first name? I mean, it wasn't. But sure enough, she was reaching out to me through this site. And the confirmation was just what her first name was. That was all that was there. So I reached out to her and we had one conversation And I said, you know, I'm married and we're thinking about having children. I would love to just know all the medical history. You know, I dove into the questions and she very politely answered them all. And then she said, after about an hour, she said, I have to go. I have to pick up my son. And I said, oh my gracious, I have a brother. This is so great. She have to pick him up from school. I'll call you. I'll call you later. This is so great. I can't wait to be friends. This is amazing. And so I was 23 and thought, this is great. This is the end of my story. I... I found her. She's my friend. This is my fairy tale. Yeah. My fairy tale. She's so great. She's so polite. She, you know, she's cordial. She wants to get together. And unfortunately, I remember tucking my husband into bed and sneaking downstairs and saying, like, you know, I'm going to call her, but I need to be by myself. I'm super independent person. So I, I don't really involve this whole entire story over the last decade of my life. I don't really involve anyone until I'm in like a desperate need. Like I like to do things myself. And So I went downstairs, I called her back. She didn't answer and I didn't understand, you know, what that was about. The next day came no call the next day. And I realized what's happening here and she's disappeared. And so I reached out for over the next seven years of my life, eight years, I had four babies in six years. Every time a baby was born, that that's something I reached out to her. 
and not with the information. I just said, like, I hope you're doing okay. You know, nothing threatening. No, I had a baby. Let's, you know, let's be friends. You're a grandma, you know, nothing like that. I just was really concerned and confused. Like why, why she didn't want to continue the relationship. And you had this great conversation. It seemed mm-hmm. to be going well. She seemed receptive from what you're telling yeah. me. And then she yeah. just disappeared. I mean, disappeared. literally disappeared. Right. I, I think I kept it to two texts a year and it's usually around my birthday and around Christmas, or if I had like given birth to a child that year. And I would just send a message to just say like, I hope you're okay. Like I'm here if you need me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was it. And my brain rattles. Like when I get a text message, it's really hard for me not to answer it, you know? Mm-hmm. And for her to look for eight years at text come in, like I said, maybe one or two a year, I wasn't super aggressive with it because it was clear what was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But to read them and not answer them, I mean, that takes some real strength. And, you know, she really had a lot going on for her not to be able to let me into her life at that time. So mm-hmm. I moved on and one day got super bold and picked up the phone and called her and she answered the phone and um, oh. I could tell it was an accident. You know, she, I identified myself. I just said, Hey, you know, this is Mary. And she kind of gasped, you know, like she was shocked. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And she was very kind. And I didn't ask like, where have you been? Like, we just kind of picked up. How are you? Are you okay? What's going on in your life? You know, I I have this family, you know, very water under the bridge. Like I wasn't angry with her. Mm -hmm. And uh, I said, I'm going to be up near you. I'm traveling in a couple of weeks. I'm going to be near where you live. Would you like to meet? And she said, that's so great. Wonderful. Let's do it. And so I grabbed my best friend for support and Mm -hmm. I was still nursing my last and my best friend had a baby also. And so the two of us got on the train and we took our babies up and I looked super fantastic and was ready, (laughs) you know, like I got my hair done and I just looked like I always envisioned me looking when I met her. Yeah. You want to put your best Face forward. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I was 34, 35 years old. Like I, I needed her to see that I, it was a success. You made the right choice. Like I'm okay. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I wanted to provide that to her because I assume that's something she thought about. Right. And so I went up, I was at the meeting spot. I waited. My girlfriend took my baby with her. So I didn't have a baby with me. It wasn't a distraction. It wasn't. And I waited and I waited and she never showed up. Oh. And, you know, until then I had understood and forgiven all. And that day, and I have to like, remember, like I clocked it with my mind. It only lasted about 24 hours, but I was really upset. I was really angry. I was really yeah. angry. Yeah. It sounds so heartbreaking. I mean, here I am. We've scheduled this. She wouldn't answer the phone. She didn't answer texts. And I'm waiting for you. Like, you're my mom. Like, why can't you just tell me this is too hard? That would have been okay, too. Yeah. Um, to just so, be upfront about it. Yeah. And so I got back on the train and I went home and, um, Two more years went by and I got a text message. The world was sort of shutting down March of 2020 and it was weird. And my husband and I were out at dinner and I got a text message from her phone and I'm like, oh goodness, 
this is, you know, something else. And she's never reached out to me first. What, what could this possibly be? And it wasn't from her. It was from her significant other. And he said, you know, I know you've been trying to reach her and find her and see her. I just want to let you know, she's really, really sick. She's ill and she might not make it. Mm -hmm. And I want you to have the opportunity to, to be with her and to meet her. Wow. Wow. And I can't, I remember just like sliding the phone across the table to my husband and just being like, I don't know, like she's spent 10 years telling me she does, she's not ready. And now she's sick and stuck. Like she can't run. She's in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And like, what do you do? Do you fulfill your lifelong dream and you run up there and you see her or do you respect what you know is probably true? And she doesn't want this. You know, it, it was a, it was a moment I really had to sit back and think about Yeah, because I felt like I had pushed so hard and so long and, and it didn't work. Like maybe it wasn't meant to be. And I developed a Did great you life. wonder if maybe her significant other just had, did it? Like knew something maybe more than you did that led mm-hmm. him to reach out to you? You mean about her health? No, like about maybe her feelings or her like feelings like about why she her confusion about wanting to to meet you or why she didn't show up that day. I wonder if those are conversations that they might have had. Yeah. So knowing what I know now, um, she had been sick for quite a while. So I think it had just been two years prior that I went up to see her from this Mm -hmm. phone call. And so I think she probably didn't look her best. She wasn't feeling her best. I was feeling my best. Like I can imagine if I was really sick, like I, I wouldn't want someone that has never met me to see me. Like I, I understood. Yeah. Um, at the moment I didn't understand. And, and when I got that text message from him, I didn't understand. Um, but I didn't ask any questions. I just said, how can I help? Like, what does she need? She need a liver. She need blood. Like, what does she need? You're telling me this she's ill. Like I'm a match. What, what does she need? And he said, you know, unfortunately it's not like that. You know, her body's sort of failing and different. It wasn't something I could do. I I couldn't help. Um, but that's, you know, what I switched on to like that mom mode of like, how can I help her? Right. And she made it. He was telling me, uh, that night they were putting her on a helicopter and moving her to another hospital because their little small town hospital couldn't help her anymore. So they were moving her and she had made the hospital ride. I was up all night talking to him, making sure she had made it. And then the next two and a half, maybe three weeks, um, I spoke to him every day, a couple times a day, just on her stats and how is she? I'm praying for her. I'm thinking about her. And then one day he called and she had woken up and I was kind of at peace with, you know, maybe she wasn't going to make it. And she had woken up and, you know, he had called me once during that two weeks and said, it's going to be tonight you know, she's going to, she's going to go and I'm talking to her, but she's asleep and I'm letting her know that you're here and, you know, you can come up and see her. And I had to make that choice not to do that. Hospitals were not letting people in, you know, it was COVID sort of made that choice for me. Uh, But that was a hard choice too, but she came out of it. She lived through that and, and the helicopter ride and she lived through all these things and now she's awake. And he said, I just want, I want you to speak to her and she wants to speak to you. So We spent the next two weeks talking on the phone and she was getting ready to get out. And then she came home one day and 
was very sick immediately after and ended up back in the hospital. So once she was moved to hospice, I was up there. Second day she was in hospice and Mm -hmm. the meeting didn't go the way I thought it would go ever. (laughs) Nothing was in the right place. Nothing happened the way I thought it would. Mm -hmm. Um, She was asleep the whole time. So she never woke up. And, you know, I left having met her and said goodbye in the same day. I didn't even process that. It took almost a year for me to process that she was gone. And so I left and I got to meet her son, who's my half brother. And he's so great. And I sat with him for a few hours and realized that that was why I was there. I wasn't there for her. She was on her way out, sadly, but I was there for him because he was losing his mom. And Mm -hmm. I have this great big family that you can come be a part of, you know, he, he, he needed the support. And so she passed 10 days later, she waited a really long time. And over those 10 days, I got a series of emails, uh, letting me know that there were a few more of us that she had placed for adoption. Oh, wow. Wow. mm -hmm. And so one day I got an email, it was a match from my DNA. I had a full sister and reached out to her and just, you know, I said, I have some really unfortunate news, but like, I feel the need. I need to tell you, I mean, she's, she's like eight or nine days into, um, you know, hospice, like it could be any day. And I mean, what a crazy position for me to be in to, to have to tell a stranger that your mom is, you know, on her way out. And the next day I got another email that actually I have another sibling. And so there's five of us. Including the son that you met in the hospital that day. Yes. So that's the only one she parented. So she had me 17 months later, my full sister, and then 22 months later, my half brother, 20 months later, my half sister, and then 12 years later, got married and had my half brother. Wow. So I didn't know they existed. They all knew I existed because when people give up babies for adoption, they have to write, or they don't have to, but there's a little spot where you write if you've given birth to other children. And right. so sure enough, you know, she wrote that she had given birth to someone. Cause you're the oldest. Oh, you're the oldest. I'm the oldest. There, you're, there was no one yeah. else. Yeah. So it wasn't shocking to anyone else. It was pretty darn shocking to me. You know, I had been on this hunt for my mom forever and, and she left behind five of us, which is like this beautiful, you know, bittersweet ending to this tragic story of, you know, me looking for her, looking for her, looking for her. And I find her and then she leaves, but her legacy, I mean, it's huge. Like how many of us get to leave five humans on this planet to do wonderful mm-hmm. things. So that's <laughs> a lot's happened after that, but that's, you know, that's the book. That's the, the story. That's the search. And then once she passed, you know, my story of healing and how I'm going to handle the rest of my life without her here is sort of my journey right now. Yeah. And that's, that's where you are. Do you have a um, relationship with those siblings at all? Yeah. So we're all kind of in different parts of our life um, and their stories are so different than mine. So I don't, you know, I'm not really privy to tell their stories about their adoption journey, but they, none of them have families yet. And so my instincts and my, the more the merrier life is really short. I went in pretty strong as the firstborn and I'm like, let's all have Thanksgiving. Let's be friends. Let's, you know, and everyone's kind of living their own life right now. And, and that wasn't something of interest, but my half brother who is 20, 
I love dearly and he's a very sweet, special part of our family. But the other ones are adults, you know, they're living their life. And I hope, you know, I cross my fingers one day that they'll come and, and say, this is so great. Let's, you know, have a relationship. But I mean, we're all very friendly with each other. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, you touched upon something just in terms of, yes, you all had the same biological mother, but every adoptee sort of has their own, their own story. And yeah. some people like, like you were saying, you know, you had a, a great adoptive family and you had lots of privileges and that's not necessarily everybody's story. Right. Mm -hmm. And that impacts you. My mom has a half brother who was put up for adoption that she reunited with a few years ago. And he said he never felt like he belonged. Like when he found my mom, he had like, there was healing for him in that to have some place where he felt like he belonged because his adoptive family, it wasn't a great experience. Yeah. And all of that probably plays into, you know, the decision to connect with your biological family, to search for them, to not search for them. Yeah. Um, the search is not easy. It takes a lot out of you. And the mm -hmm. secondary rejection, every time I sent a text and every time she didn't answer, I mean, that's, oh. that's rejection each time over and over again. And every yeah. birthday that went by, you know, like, it's just you, I, I mean, I think adoptees are super strong the second they decide that they want to search and find something. I mean, just that one step is such a big step, but don't be fooled. It's not an easy process. Right. You're, you're making yourself like so vulnerable in yeah. doing that. You are opening yeah. yourself up to like serious rejection by somebody that I have to imagine. It feels like already rejected you to begin mm -hmm. with before yeah. they even knew you. Yeah. It's also, you know, as you were telling that piece of the story, I was really thinking about how hard you had persevered because you did keep sending the periodic messages and listening to you talk about that, like, it seems like you met that with such empathy that you were always trying to put yourself in her position and worrying about her and thinking about how hard this was on her. Where does that come from? It's one of the reasons I love kind of talking about this and, and walking other adoptees through because it's a really hard position to be in. Um, mm -hmm. And this book I'm writing is like a tribute to her life. And I, I told someone that the other day and they're like, what, like, shouldn't it be a tribute to your family or your adoptive? Pa like what? Because most people look at the situation as, you know, a lot of closed doors and, and an impossible feat, just a continuous mountain that I was climbing. Um, but I always put myself in her shoes because I, since I was about seven, I have a seven-year-old now. And since I was seven, I, I grew up, people would ask, what do you want to be when you grow up little girl? And it was a mom. I just want to be a mom. That's all I want to be. I don't want to be a vet or a movie star or a singer. I would like to be a mom. And that was it. And so I think mm -hmm. it probably stems from wanting to have my own children and parent and mother, my own children. And so thinking leaving that hospital, each time I had a baby leaving the hospital was the worst part of me giving birth. 
And people don't understand that, except all I could think about was her leaving the hospital without a baby. Yeah. Without a baby. Like, how do you even comprehend that? And the last, when I had my last child, I left the hospital and was so upset. You know, nurses were like, what, I mean, can we give you blanket? Like, what do you need to take some hospital with you? Like, what's the issue here? And I just thought to myself, like, you know, I'll never be back in this spot again. I'll never go through this again. I do have my baby with me, but I, I can't imagine. And when I had all my kids, I didn't know she had given other babies up for adoption. I thought it was just me. And, and so I just thought to myself, how can one, I just felt so sad. The whole, the whole story is Mm -hmm. so sad for her. And as you know, it's almost like a puppy dog syndrome, right? Like you can kick a puppy and he'll still come and lick your face. I mean, I really fell into that and not as a victim, but empathy is like my number one go-to emotion here because I I can't sit in her, in her shoes. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know what that was like, except to think of what it was like with my own child. Well, yeah, yeah. I think especially once you become a mom. Yeah. I mean, cause we're all moms here. Your, your capacity for empathy for people in that motherhood journey, whatever shape that takes, mm-hmm. um, I feel like it's just that much deeper. And so if you were already a, an empathetic person, um, yeah. I feel like it's like heightened, mm-hmm. I would think. I would like to kind of know a little bit more or better understand what it's like for you grieving I don't know if you know my story, but my, my husband um, was killed at work a couple of years ago. And Mm -hmm. so grief is something that is very, um, we talk about it a lot. (laughs) I just posted about it yesterday. Well, but what's really interesting about it is obviously we're grieving because, you know, someone isn't in our life anymore, but I have to imagine like, it's gotta, it has to have been hard for the people around you as you're grieving this loss. Cause as you're talking, I'm like, that's a really kind of deep and hard loss, I would think, because you're grieving a relationship you never had the opportunity to have. You're grieving all that you put into, you know, just sending those messages every couple of months or whatever. Um, and, and then just, you know, grieving that she's no longer here. But to someone on the outside, it'd be like, well, yeah, but you had this amazing life. Like, why are you sad? And yeah, you did. She wasn't really a huge present. She just let you down. Not a physical presence. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. These are all things that people say all the time to me. (laughs) Like, I don't understand. Like your parents are super wonderful and, you know, in tune to your life. And why did you need to find her so much? And then, you know, and I try to explain nicely, like it's a primal instinct. Like I couldn't not find her. Like I had to get to her and mm-hmm. I, I play out the story a, a couple different ways. I wonder if she had gone, if she had passed away before I had gotten to her, if that would be easier. If right. he hadn't sent that text to me and said, I want to give you the opportunity. If I had been having this conversation with him, you know, next to her gravesite, you know, like, I wonder if those moments, I mean, when she was sick and in the hospital, she answered the phone every day and I called twice a day and I'd like do some homeschool with my kids. And then I'd call around lunchtime when they were watching TV 
And then I'd call right before the hospital phones turned off. And essentially over two weeks, I fell in love with this person. I loved her and I have loved her my whole life. And that didn't make any sense to anyone. It made no sense. And if you're adopted, it kind of makes sense. Uh, If you're not, it makes no sense. And bless my (laughs) husband and bless my best friends for walking me through this hardship and holding my hand, but it makes no sense to anybody. And so when I lost her, uh, I didn't really believe it for a little bit. I mean, I knew she was gone, but I was in this routine and habit. And you can probably relate to this of doing things and thinking about her during significant times of year. And, you know, Mother's Day came up and, you know, the like internal um, turmoil started where I'm like, do I send a message? Do I not? And my husband like very kindly reminded me like, you know, she's, she's not here. And I'm like, Oh my God, you know, I, I honestly forgot for a minute. So, yeah, well, it's gotta be almost be harder because she wasn't a presence. She was a presence like in your thoughts, mm-hmm. but yeah. she wasn't a physical presence. So right. the day-to-day likely wasn't very much different, but mm-hmm. yeah, those moments have to be like a, yeah, a gut punch. Yeah. I, I think, um, it hits me at different times. You know, I, yeah. I sometimes am, and it's usually when I'm like having a quiet moment, I'm like, come on grief, like, come on, like, just give me a minute. And right. it just comes out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And I sometimes like can keep my composure and just get it together. But I was driving the other day and just started crying. And I'm like, this is so unfair. You know, like, this is so unfair that she's gone and I didn't get to, you know, I mean, everybody feels that way. Right. But Mm -hmm. for me to have been looking for so long, it's just a different level of intensity. I think, um, similar to like losing a spouse is a different level of intensity than like losing a friend. Like, it's just, these are, it's, you can't compare the two. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense unless you've gone through that. Um, well, and even I would imagine if you were like, to connect with your, your half siblings who they probably wouldn't have the same experience even as you. Oh yeah. Uh, no, like no, no. I connect with other widows all the time and, and we all approach things differently. We're all triggered in different ways, Yeah, we, mm-hmm. um, you know, but I can really relate to the idea of how it just, those waves kind of like they sneak up on you when you least expect it. Yeah. Um, and sometimes you can pinpoint what maybe brought them on and other times it's just like your body's like, you got to let this shit out right now. Like you don't have a choice. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. I try to be like super, uh, you know, concentrate. I try to concentrate on like my triggers and what they are and sometimes try to avoid them and not be in the space where I can potentially have something that I mean, I was holding my daughter's, I mean, my, um, friend's newborn baby the other day. And I just like this wave of emotion came up and I'm like, Ooh, make a note to yourself. Don't hold newborn babies. You know, (laughs) So sometimes I can do that. Um, and sometimes they change, right? So I could hold a baby a month later and be fine. Or next year, mother's day might not be a thing for you, but that day before knowing it's coming. Yeah. Could be horrible. I have to tell you some, there's a little bit of a silver lining here. You know, I have these like wonderful siblings that I can't wait for like relationships to develop in the future. And we have our whole life. So I try not to be quite as in a hurry as I was initially, 
Mm -hmm. um, but there are some beautiful things here. <clears throat> my birthday is like the greatest day of my life now. And I've hated my birthday for 35 years. I just don't like it. I, I think it's a celebration for me, but it's also this incredible loss of a woman who's given her baby to someone else. Mm -hmm. uh, and that constantly comes up. And so my birthday is just another day. I go to bed on my birthday every year, disappointed every year. And, you know, my husband is like, how was it today? You know what? Like, why are you sad? And I'm like, I don't know. I, I don't, you know, and I overcompensate for my kids' birthdays. We do crazy, big, elaborate, fancy things for their birthdays. Cause I feel like, you know, it's needed and it's big and, you know, birthdays are super complicated, but I have to tell you when she passed away, there was a sense of peace that I didn't need to worry. Uh, is she going to call? She's not going to call. Um, and that's like kind of a hard thing to admit to people, but over the last year and a half or so, I've gotten to a place where I'm comfortable saying that. And that was mm -hmm. something that was so hard on me. And I remember that first birthday I celebrated after she was gone just last year. And there was a weight lifted off I had made peace and she was gone and I could enjoy my birthday for, you know, you weren't waiting for a call. Yeah. And because you are such an empathetic person, you didn't necessarily have to worry about the pain that she was in that day. Right. Right. Because I, mean, I get I the feeling that that's the type of stuff you worried about. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because then she was at peace when you were talking to her and you were, you know, in those two weeks where you were calling her twice a day, were you talking about like your lives? Were you learning about her or were you just kind of checking in how she was doing? Like, I just want to know kind of the, I don't know, general themes of what types of yeah. things you talked about. Yeah, no, I, um, I tried to like write things down afterwards, you know, just to remember. Uh, yeah. Um, again, my memory is like not super great. <laughs> so I, I try to like write things and remember conversations and it was a lot of, you know, conversations surrounded around her health. How are you feeling? Was always the first question. How are you? Yeah. Um, what can I do for you today? Like, can I pray for you? Can I send something your way? Can I get someone to call you? Um, and she didn't have a big network. She was, I think very lonely and she had her significant other and her son and me. And that was it at the end. There were not people calling her or stop the others, not your other sibling. So they didn't know until the day before she passed away. Okay. Yeah. And so I delivered that message. And then when, when I found that there were four of us, I called my half brother and the two of us would chat from about five to 7 PM every night. Cause he would go and visit her during those hours and he would call me or we would text funny things back and forth. And just, I would keep him busy while he was sitting there with her. Mm -hmm. And I remember calling him and saying, you need to put me on speakerphone and we need to talk to your mom together. You know, talk to, we'd call her mama, talk to mama together. And, and he's like, what another sibling? Like, haha, like you rocked my world yesterday. And I just said, actually, you know, there's, you know, there's a couple of us. And, uh, and I remember delivering this message to him through speakerphone. And I don't know where the phone was in my imagination. It was like sitting on her chest, you know, she was asleep. And 
I just said, make sure it's on speaker so she can hear. Cause I want her to know that we've all kind of found each other. And, and so when I delivered that message, he, he, you know, couldn't believe it. Right. But she, I think kind of had some peace and she had waited a really long time before passing away. And, and she passed a few hours later, you know, after that phone call. And I really think that that sort of tied it all together for her. And I forget what you just mm-hmm. asked me. Cause I went down a rabbit hole just now, but, um, no, that was, <laughs> that's beautiful. Uh, yeah. I'm sorry. What did you just ask me? But I can see that maybe that brought her some closure and maybe some peace that maybe she needed to be able to. I think so. Right. I think so. Well, just to know that you were all still around and Mm -hmm. had met, had connected in some way. Yeah. Um, And maybe even for all of you, but maybe for that son that she raised. Sure. No, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, I gave her a promise and just said like, he'll be a part of our life forever. And, you know, I mean, we knew it was coming soon. And so I wanted just to make sure, I mean, when I was there on day two, the doctor said like, we won't be here in a week. And it had been 12 days now. And so she was waiting for something and it wasn't for me to come visit her. You know, all the nurses kind of heard my story and they were like, oh, she's probably going to go because you're here. And and yeah. we didn't know that there was like this whole all these other ones. Yeah. 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 And you found them easily? No, I mean, my DNA had been online for two, three years. Uh, okay. It had just been sitting there and no matches, no nothing. And it just all fell into place that week. It just, you know, as fate had it. Right. It's so crazy how things can work out sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking back when you were saying, you know, you've loved her since the day you were born and mm-hmm. that, you know, how it doesn't make sense. Hearing you say that though, it does make sense. It does make sense. Yeah. And it does, it does because, you know, you grow in this body and it's all, you know, mm-hmm. for you're biologically your wired. Yeah. I think to love, well, you are to love your, your mother yeah. and, and your mother, I feel like even more so than, than your father. And you've got part of your, your part of your grandmother is in your mother. And it's like this whole, like, I can get into like all of the, like, <laughs> you know, hippie hoo-ha of like all of it. Cause I love that <laughs> stuff, yeah. but, but like, we're all so connected and, and, and that is like that first primal bond that we have so it does make sense it does make sense that you loved her your entire life and I was wondering Jen like touched upon this idea of being wired to kind of love our mothers and you sounded like you were really driven to find your mother and I wondered had you ever thought about trying to find your father Everybody asked me that. Yes. <laughs> Everybody asked me. Yeah. And I didn't think about that until mm-hmm. um, she offered the information. Okay. So, you know, another book, another day. Uh, I do yeah. have a relationship with my father. Uh, okay. He lives across the country and is great and has a family. And he, you know, I, again, I don't want to tell his story, but it was complicated. Nobody ever knew. He came and met me at the hospital after I was born. 
And then she handed me over to the agency and he never told anybody. And so he carried it around for a really long time um, on his own. And so when I came into his life, uh, it was a healing journey for him also because he didn't know where I went either, you know, and he, so he's great. He's wonderful. I have two sisters, two half sisters that are his, and I just have a whole Look at all this family family. you have. (laughs) I know. (laughs) I I feel like we kind of can't have this conversation though without touching on your parents, the parents who raised you. Um, Have they been supportive throughout all of this? Like what, that's gotta, it's gotta be a really hard thing as these people who wanted you so badly and, you know, raised you and gave you all you could ever want and and all of that like it must be very complicated for them yeah uh you know I grew up with them being supportive when I was ready they always said like we're here we'll back you like do you need money to open a file like do you need a trip to go find her like they always supported um but when it came down to it and I was an adult and explained how strong the desire was and that I wasn't going to stop until I found her. Mm -hmm. Um, They sat back and kind of watched and I did it on my own. Um, I didn't have conversations with my adopted parents until I had made um, progress. And truthfully, I don't know that they knew I texted her twice a year. I don't know. Um, I didn't tell them I was going on a trip to meet her. Um, until I was there and she didn't show up and I came home and then I told them the story and it goes back to just who I am. I didn't want to cause them pain. I did not want them to feel like I was replacing them, that I wasn't grateful for the childhood that I had. I didn't want them to think, you know, to be up all night worried. Like, is she going to show up? Is she not? Is she going to, you know, take my daughter away? Is she going to love her more than she, I didn't want that. So I sort of, did this mission on my own and then told them later. And I don't, I don't think it's caused a, um, a stressor in our life now, but I, you know, the books will be done in the next six months or so. And I, I worry about it a little bit. And again, it's just their feelings. There's nothing written poorly about them. Um, Mm -hmm. but there's certain parts in the book where I, I felt, you know, I, I wrote things and, and they're not on my Instagram page. They're just not, I can't write freely in front of them um, Mm -hmm. necessarily without, I don't want to have to cater what I write around their feelings. So I'm again, super independent. My husband occasionally checks in on my page and he's like, wow, I never knew that. I'm like, it's just this like separate chapter. And I, I appreciate doing it on my own. Uh, because the people that surround you day to day probably aren't adopted and they probably don't understand as much as you would like them to. So um, again, that was going into what I like to do right now. And that's to talk and help other adoptees go through this process. I have to imagine as your parents too, as much as it could be like threatening or hard or whatever, if they had those feelings, but that just seeing you work so tirelessly and continuously being let down I mean, yeah, it's awful to watch. It's going to be excruciating as a parent. So I didn't tell them all of that. Yeah. yeah. You know? I mean, that, that, you know, that makes sense. And then the, their instinct was probably to protect you from that. But then you were an adult and 
Yeah. I mean, my husband even a few times stepped in and he was like, I remember he picked up my phone to, to make a call one day and he had seen that I had sent a message the night before. He was like, why are you sending that? Like, I don't know. You know, it's just kind of what I do every once in a while. You know, it's <laughs> like it, it almost is safer if you keep it to yourself until you make some success. Yeah. Because until then it causes pain for the people that you love. And it's just not, I don't want to do that. You know, I can, I can handle my own pain. And then when I make success, I'll share that with you. And, and that's a pretty typical way of walking through this process. As I talk to other adoptees, it's pretty typical. We all kind of do it ourselves, not everyone, but. Well, you probably feel a lot of it, like Tisha, you were saying, um, um, your mom's uh, adopted brother, mm-hmm. you probably feel like you've been doing it all alone anyway, no matter how loved you, you yeah. were lucky enough to grow up. Yeah. Um, there's, I have to imagine that it has to feel like there's a piece of you missing. A hundred percent. And that's hard to say to the people that you love that did raise you beautifully, right? That's hard to say, you know, there was always a hole in my heart and they're probably scrambling, like, how can we fill the hole? How can we fill the hole? You know, and, and yeah. you just can't. It's yeah. not. If you have a friend who was adopted or you are married to someone who was adopted or you're an adoptive parent, what is the best way someone like that could support someone going through the, a journey similar to what you went through? Yeah, that's a hard question. <laughs> and everyone's different, obviously. Yeah. Like it's a really hard thing to generalize. Yeah. So I guess for you, what are things that either people did that were really supportive or you wished had they had done? Yeah. So I think being there for an adoptee who's sort of going through the reunification process or it, it's not always the reunion process. Sometimes it's just like a self-identity crisis. A couple of times in my adulthood, I went through like, where do I belong right now? You know, and I think it really stemmed from being adopted and obviously support, you know, checking in, but it's the listening ear. I mean, I love coming on podcasts and talking to people because it helps me, um, Mm -hmm. for us to walk through our stories is helpful for us. So to listen to someone, um, and also kind of allow, I sort of give this advice to people who have adopted children also to sort of give the adoptee space to be adopted. It's just, that's, that is what it is. And you don't ever want to try to have them change their mind about what they're thinking about the process because you can't be in their shoes. Um, so while friends will come running and let me take you out to coffee and let's forget this and don't worry about that. You know, that's, that's not as helpful as, you know, you had a bad day and a coffee's, you know, just allow them to work through it and walk through it with a listening ear because advice is hard. It's really hard. And I I bless my husband's heart, you know, with all the advice he tried to give and and help and walk through. And I remember even one time just saying, can you just listen like to what, like, I have to talk about it out loud and work through it with you. And, and then I'll ask, you know, um, it's really hard. I think for people to sit in the mud with someone else when they're really through something. Yeah. And I can imagine you have like plenty of tidbits that you would give people also going through a loss like that, but it's not a quick fix. It's just not. So if your true friends are willing to say, what can I do for you? It's probably not an answer. That's typical. Like get me a coffee, you know? Yeah. It's it's sitting in the, in the thick and that's hard for some people. Mm -hmm. Do you get a lot of adoptees reaching out to you because you write about it and asking you for support or advice? 
I do get that. And I live for that right now. I wake up every morning and I check my DMS and I'm like, who can I help today? How can I use my story to help others? And it is the greatest part of my day is waking up. I mean, I have children, I have other beautiful parts of my day, but (laughs) I do really love it. And I've started my website should be live in the next month or two. And I've sort of started this business slowly, but it'll be official once the website goes live. But I've sort of deemed myself the adoptee doula. And that's just sort of the title that I'm going by. And other adoptees that go through this coming out of the fog, so to speak, or, you know, these self-realizations or identity crisis or reunification stories that you Mm -hmm. just can't get a handle on. Um, you sort of come to me and we walk through it together and I'm sort of your one-on-one doula, you know, and, and I live for it. I love it. I I just helped someone walk through and, and she met her biological father on her 39th birthday. And it was just, she said, it was the most beautiful day of my life. And she's had a great life. You know, it just, And to watch other people and to help other people, like it feeds my soul. So yes, I love when adoptees reach out to me. It's my favorite part of being on Instagram is to be able to connect to other people. It's part of the community. I think that makes it all great, right? Yes. Yeah. That's wonderful that you, that you're able to do that because I do think that some people having gone through it could be very triggering and could be very hard, but then it also gives you so much perspective because you have gone through it. And I could see that adoptees might need that and need somebody who has had that kind of shared or similar type of experience. Yeah. You know, I was looking at um, like classes to take and somehow to continue my education. And my girlfriend very sweetly sent me a message and she said, your experience is your education, like you can't go to school and learn what it's like to be adopted. Like, that's just what you have. That's what you Mm -hmm. offer people. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and each story is different, but every single one comes with loss and hardship and grief and it's never easy. And so to walk through it with someone that's also been through that is sort of my favorite thing to do. (laughs) Wonderful. So thank you so much for joining us today. You're just really such a beautiful soul. Thank you. And it's been such a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And you're working on your memoir. So when that comes out, we'll be sharing it on Instagram as well. Yeah. Um, And good luck with the writing. We're going to be cheering you on. Yes. We are cheering you on and, and make sure you post about it and we'll share your posts and all of that our listeners where they can find you. And so those of you who are listening today, thank you for joining us. Leave us a review. We love that. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to now. What if you've enjoyed this episode, leave us a review. Your ratings and reviews help more people like you find our podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and share this episode with someone you think would love it. Until next time, remember, your hard times are the chance to write another chapter.